I would say to parents, you know what? You can't take shortcuts here. You got to do the hard work of living what you want them to learn. Live what you want your children to learn. You ain't been there, and then you ain't, and you ain't just this or did that. It don't matter. Just love on them. Or love yourself. So you have to go back and love on them. It's okay. Whatever love on them. When you look back on your life, what's one thing you needed to hear your father say? And, um, that's my experience. And I can only go off of whatever I, I've experienced for almost a decade. Persistence. Persistence don't get you where you gotta go. with the most finding Nemo, a.k.a. Need Mo, Need More. Uh, when I figure out what I need more of, I'll be sure to let you know. This is your host, Chalmer. You're now listening to Fatherhood Friday Season 5. <sighs> Man, I've been on a, figuratively speaking, a podcast tour bus where I've been going coast to coast, being on other people's podcasts, such as Father Heard with my good buddy Marcus Griggs, uh, the Involved Father podcast uh, with Tamer Harris out of San Diego. And now today, uh, you're going to be listening to me again back in California uh, with 365 Brothers podcast with uh, Raven Shine. And so I'm going to cue this up for you and you're just going to hear me talk about you know, random things as a father, as a man, as the person you're listening to each and every Friday. So sit back, relax, and uh, listen it, and stay tuned. This dude showed me the true meaning of love. Now, he was a Christian, and I wasn't a Christian. I hadn't given my life to the Lord but he showed me what love was in such a genuine way. I'm like, if this is what it means to be a Christian, sign me up. What happened? What'd he do? It wasn't nothing special. I just never seen a, 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 a Black man of a younger age where he was just Welcome to 365 Brothers, the podcast. I'm your host, Robin Shine. I am delighted to bring to you brothers from across the United States and from various professions talking about their life experiences, their wisdom, and a conversation that also touches on racial profiling in the United States, how pervasive it is, what the impact is. And remember, you can follow us 
on Instagram at 365brothers. Also, follow us on Facebook at 365brothers, the podcast. If this is your first time listening to a 365 Brothers episode, make sure you subscribe because you do not want to miss one brother's wisdom, one brother's experience, and their perspective on life in the United States. Today, we are speaking to a gentleman whose hometown was Denver, Colorado, but he's currently in Austin, Texas, and a term that I just learned from him that came from an article, we're talking about the return of the migration. Um, He is an entrepreneur, he's written a screenplay, he's an author, and a podcaster, and I love this podcast, it's called Fatherhood Fridays, y'all gonna have to check that out. All right, we are speaking with Chalmer Williams. Welcome, Chalmer. How's it going? Could not be better. Because it's exactly the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> all right, about, all right, all right. <laughs> right? So let me ask you, is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners to help them get to know you better before we go into our questions? I, I'm a person. I'm very multi-talented, very complex individual. At least my wife says that from time to time. And, <laughs> and what I mean by that is... I've been fortunate to do a lot of different things in life. And one thing that you might not know about me is that a lot of my gifts and talents all started from comedy. I used to be a stand-up comedy and still do comedy from time to time. Nice. Okay. I have had a couple comedians on in the past, but I I think that was all season one. So you're going to be my first (laughs) comedian. For season three. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to hear more of it, I'm sure, as we unfold in this conversation. Let's start with what is a favorite song or movie, either now or all time, and why? My favorite movie all time is Black Panther. Mm, go ahead. And to be honest with you, I'm not even really a big comic book type of dude so i'm not the person that goes sees all the marvel and and you know batman superman i'm not even that type of person but something about black panther really put cinema and black culture and black excellence and black spirituality on a high level probably the most optimal level i've seen in my existence and granted, it was uh, fictional, but it, it was well calculated. Indeed, indeed. I'm not going to even lie. I saw that in the theaters three times because yes. uh, everything you just said about it, and in particular, ooh, the way they dress, and then the women. The and and I I used to remember the name. It's been a couple of years now. So, but their their short hair and their fierceness and their complete embrace of their African features. It was amazing. It it was amazing. And I think that's why the movie hit so heavy with African-Americans in the United States, because we're never portrayed in cinema on that fashion, on that high level. If we are portrayed in an excellent way, 
it almost seems like our culture has to be watered down. Something has to be watered down. You have to have uh, somebody that's light-skinned. Just all these different things that can say that the, the people behind the scenes are saying, well, this will sell if you have this in it. And I feel like the director didn't, didn't do none of that. So it, it's just my favorite movie. Oh, you know what? And, and just in us talking about it right now, Chadwick Boseman, I'm not going to lie. When he passed away, I was like, please commune with me and be one of my guardian angels because you are just all of that. And um, he, what I just realized in this conversation with you is how the anti-hero, Michael B. Jordan, strong, fierce, masculine, and Chadwick Boseman, he was fierce and masculine, but he didn't have it, he wasn't required to display that in some cartoonish, overdone, stereotypical way. It was like his being, his brilliance was sufficient masculinity. Right. It, it was his inner strength. And you know, the conflict between him and Michael B. Jordan, which was his cousin in the movie really kind of goes to show you what we wrestle with day to day, as you so eloquently put it. The toxic masculinity, physical physique versus fighting against somebody that may not look the part, but has the same inner strength and inner intelligence and inner spirituality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For some reason, you just caught me in a mood as you're talking about Black Panther and you know, I'm also left with, you know, as a person who's taken on interviewing 365 brothers, Black men, the range, like the, there was just no shortage of how Black men were able to be represented because there were so many of them there on the screen and leading roles. Right. And, and I think that's what we want to see. You know, and I, and you know, to kind of deviate from that, I think that's why, you know, in present day, 2021, when Coming to America 2 came out, there was a lot of mixed reviews because mm-hmm. we're basing it off of what we've seen three years ago with Black Panther. Now, now that's just my opinion, though. I got you. No, I hear you because it, I mean, you know, again, this is just one woman's opinion, one sister's opinion, but it did ring a little flat to me. Quite frankly, I haven't finished it yet. Because it hearkened back to a era where that was enough to be on screen was enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and again, I don't want to say there was anything wrong with, you know, I mean, Hollywood makes shallow humor all the time in all colors. And, and I don't want to say we should not be watching shallow humor, but I'm just saying we did get a taste of some other stuff with the depth of moonlight and some of the other movies and hidden figures and la la la. Anyway, we could go, look, we, I could just, I don't know why I don't do a podcast just on movies. Cause I could talk about movies all day. <laughs> Me too. Cause I'm, I'm a movie buff. And so I, I can look deeper beyond movies, you know, from, from a cultural standpoint and just a societal standpoint. And so, yeah, I was highly disappointed in coming to America too. And what's interesting as we digress the director of Black Panther actually pitched the script to Eddie Murphy and he denied it and went with a white director. Really? Yes. The the director huh. he went with was Craig Brewer. I can't think of the, the, the Black director's name right now, but 
the that black director that did Black Panther and Fruitville Station and maybe a oh, couple wow. more. Uh, yeah. He he pitched a, a screenplay to Eddie Murphy to do Coming to America too, and Eddie Murphy turned it down. So huh. it is what it is, you know. It is what it is, and I, you know, and I'm gonna throw this out there too for my listeners. I did interview Jermaine Stiegel, and he was the composer for Coming to America too. And um, so that was in season two. So if you want to hear from a composer, he was part of that project. So again, mad respect for all of the accomplishment on that. But that don't mean we can't talk about what was missing. So (laughs) with that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What is a favorite or an important moment from your childhood? During the summer, we used to have, me and my sister, we used to have a super soaker squirt guns, water guns. And so we were having a super circle fight with some of the neighborhood kids. And it was like me and her and one other person against like 10 other people. <laughs> and we, I mean, we just getting drenched in water and my mom's watching from the wi- uh, window or watching from the door. And she actually got out there and said, y'all not gonna wet my kids, took the water hose and <laughs> And got involved. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like just, just, just turn on the water hose. Like, okay, <laughs> it's too many of y'all. We about to even the score. And so, <laughs> turned on that water hose and was just, we was going at it another thirty minutes. But that was just such a good memory of my mom because she was a community mom. She always looked out for other kids. She worked in the the middle school, uh, local middle school in the neighborhood I grew up in. And so she knew all pretty much all the kids in on our street and even up mm-hmm. the street and around the corner. So they knew who she was. She knew she knew who they were. And it was just a fun time. Oh, my gosh. You know what? See, I'm making up stories right here because in my mind, I'm like, see, I bet she was looking out that window going, hey, that look like fun. How am I get in that? How am I get in that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, we, I mean, we, I mean, we just getting pobbled, like, <laughs> you know, three against 10. And my mom was like, uh uh-uh. uh. So she, I'm, I'm, you know, a black woman getting her hair wet. Girl, I mean, dude, look, look, so she said, I'm automatically with the girl. <laughs> right. But she, she took right. the L for her kids. So I, I think she tied her hair up and said, let's go. <laughs> wow, that does sound that is a wonderful memory. Thank you for sharing that with us. I got I, my I'm, my grin is so tight, you know, when your cheeks start to hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about accomplishments. And I asked this question in two parts. First, an accomplishment that means the most to you personally. And then an accomplishment that is the one that gets the most mm, or wow. So let's start with which accomplishment means the most to you personally, Chalmer? A personal accomplishment that means the most to me is that I I published a book independently. I have a book right now on Amazon called Fighting for a Laugh, and it's based on a true story of my life at 17 and some of the many challenges I had to face in the 11th grade of getting kicked out of school because of fighting and having to go to court and, and it's, it's just a road to redemption story. And um, that is one of my uh, personal accomplishments that I'm most proud of because I never saw myself as a writer. 
Mm-hmm. Like if I go back and reflect when I was younger, I, I never saw myself as a writer because honestly, I didn't read that much. I didn't I didn't read a whole lot. So most people that read a lot usually can write very well. And I reading and writing just wasn't my strong suit. I was more math and science at the time. The book is done really well, and I've actually turned it into a screenplay. And so it's in several competitions, one being in, uh, I think, Los Angeles. Fantastic. I love the era we're in. I was just talking to a friend of mine, and I mentioned that I was going to be interviewing this afternoon and that, you know, the person had a podcast. And, you know, technology has really democratized voice. and so. I've had several guests who have taken the plunge and become fully self-expressed in sharing their story through writing. And then you've got folks who are, you know, sharing their stories or the stories of others through podcasting. And, you know, this, this could not have happened 50 years ago because 50 years ago, you had to go through gatekeepers to have your voice available to the masses. And so this this is is just awesome to to know that there are so many stories to be told and and like when you mentioned your screenplay, there are so many platforms, so many places producing. You don't have to wait and hope that one of six studios says yay or nay, you know. Um, so this this is a really exciting time. Yes, it is an exciting time. I think that's how you have to measure your own success. Did you do? what was in your heart or what God called you to do. If you did it, then you're successful. It doesn't matter if you got $5 or $5,000 or $5 million. If you did what you were purposed to do, you're successful because a lot of people don't do it because of fear, because of a number of different things. Yes. I, I, I give an amen on that. Um, Speaking of accomplishments and getting it done and doing it, which is the accomplishment that gets the most, uh, or wow, when shared? It really just depends on the person I'm, I'm, I'm talking to. Um, there's not like one that just really sticks out. Some people are proud of me that I've written a book and it's on Amazon, Fighting for a Laugh. Some people are proud of that. Some people are proud that I started a podcast for fathers or specifically Black fathers, giving them a voice. Some people are proud that I went to a historically Black college and university, Tuskegee University, and graduated. Some people are proud that I gave my hand in uh, being a stand-up comic. Some people are proud that I just made it out of my neighborhood. Because there were so many people that didn't make it, that are not doing good. There's so many of my friends that, you know, just now getting released from prison or jail, trying to get back on their feet. As far as you can tell, there's not one thing that just gets uh, a general, oh, or dang. Nah, you know, it just really depends on the person and what they're interested in or what they might be thinking like, man, if he did it, I could do it. Yeah. I hear you. You know, what I also hear is that there are so many different things that you share about yourself. And so that's why there's so many different things. And I pick up on that because I remember fresh out of college, people were impressed because 
where I went to school, right? Mm. And then as I got older, it's like, I hardly ever mention where I went to school. So it doesn't impress anybody because I'll never say it. What I'm talking about now is what I'm doing today, right? Mm. And so I get that, um, that you're sharing based on what comes up in the conversation. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, my life is multi-layered. You know, I'm married. Uh, I've been married for almost 10 years, got two kids. Something as small as that might impress somebody like, wow, you know, I never seen you as the married type back in the day. And now you're married and have two kids and, you know, things of that nature. Yeah, no, trust me. I've had at least a couple guests where that really was it. Well, okay. There's one in particular that I remember that stands out. You know, everybody was like, okay, play, uh, play, uh. <laughs> and so when he settled down, like that is the thing. They're like, look at you. Not just that he married and settled down with one person, but like doing the whole family life. So, well, let me ask you this. You pick either when you were 16, 18, or 21, pick one of those ages. And what's something you wish you'd known then that you know now? I would say 18 because that's my senior year in high school, about to graduate and go off to college and go to another level in life. And, you know, having these aspirations of of doing stand-up comedy, even at that early age, having these aspirations of doing a movie and writing a screenplay. And so fast forward 20 years later, I would tell that person is don't measure success by fame and fortune measure it by did you do the purpose that you were called to do did you do what god called you to do got it wise words yeah because i mean i think everybody has that pinnacle of i got to be famous i got to make a bunch of money you know back then it, it only seemed like it was one way to like you said earlier to get your name known and you had to go through all these gatekeepers but we never knew that everything was going to be democratized and it was going to be opened up to everybody. So now with it being opened up to everybody, you have an opportunity to still speak to people, to still do comedy and, and it reach a million different people on the internet airwaves. And so, you know, you have to focus on, did you do what you were called to do? If you did it, you're, you're successful because a lot of people don't do it or a lot of people don't finish what they're stuck, what they started. You know what? Look, when you said that right now, I started thinking about some of the people who are one hit wonders on YouTube. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's this little girl. I'm pretty sure she's Latina. Anyway, mm-hmm. she and a couple of her, you know, little friends, they I'm guessing eight, nine or 10, they're dancing to Aretha Franklin's respect. Right. Mm-hmm. You seen this? This girl, she does the attitude of the song. (laughs) Okay. She does this. And you know what? She makes me smile. She makes me laugh. It's got tens of millions of views. And the thing is, is in that moment, that little girl, unlike the two that were at her left and right, she did what she was called to do in that moment. (laughs) That's it. Did you do what you were called to do in that moment? Because it's not about how many followers you have. It's about how many people you impact. Yes. Yes. Ah, thank you for that. Exactly. Remember, remember Jesus only had 12 followers. 
You know, he only had 12 disciples that literally followed him, but mm-hmm. his impact just rang volumes for, for generations to come. Over millennia. There you go. So speaking of people who with mighty words, for yourself, what is a favorite quote, saying, metaphor, or book, and why? And it's funny, I actually just found this quote on Facebook from a, a random person that I was scrolling down. I think her name is Roberta Nicole. And it said, when it comes to your life story, don't let anyone or anything hold the pen. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And what is it about that quote for you? That quote just kind of speaks to you, even though you can't control everything, the most important thing you can't control is yourself. And so when you can control yourself, then you are holding the pen to your life. You're writing your story. You're not letting society write your story. You're not letting the system write your story. You're writing the story. Love it. Well, let me ask you, what is a moment or event that either highlights or in some way signifies your experience as a Black man in the United States? Okay, I see we we leave in the shallow water and we going a little deeper. <laughs> I know. I, I'm like letting y'all just kind of wade in the shallow and then I just kind of, oh, hey, come right. over here for a minute. <laughs> All right, I had my floaties on and I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm playing volleyball in the pool. And now she's like, no, nah, we about to start swimming now. <laughs> we about to go for a swim. So, so get ready. So, um, and I know this might seem minuscule to some, but when I went to go pick up my brother, my youngest brother from college, he went to an HBCU as well, Lincoln University, which is in M- Missouri. And I got pulled over by the police. And what made matters even worse, they said they smelled smoke in the car. I don't smoke weed, but they said they smelled smoke in the car and they asked to do a drug search. And so in them doing a drug search, they called on the dogs. And so they tried to rip my car apart to see if they could find any marijuana. And they could not find any marijuana in the car, in the trunk, between the seats, nothing like that. And when it was all said and done, they were just like, thank you for your time and drove off. And, you know, I felt like that was a moment for me because here I am. I just graduated college maybe a year or two ago. My brother is now a freshman going into being a sophomore. So we're trying to advance ourselves in education and we're still dealing with, you know, systematic racism as it pertains to the police, just because I looked suspicious driving on the highway and he felt like he was going to find something mm-hmm. and he didn't find anything. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that was a moment for me that really stuck out and really left me feeling vulnerable and left me feeling like, 
almost like somebody broke into my house because my car was pretty much uh, tore up. They, they were, they were certain they were going to find something, you know what I mean? And I had to get a lot of the interior stuff replaced because I guess they thought I was moving weight from one state to the next because the dog quote unquote smelled something and they couldn't find anything. Mm-mm-mm. So we're not just seeing, I'm glad you added that. So we're not just talking where they're, they are, you know, using their hands and kind of, you know, going through the whole car, but they actually rip stuff up is what I'm hearing. Yes. 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 Rip stuff up, move stuff around, didn't straighten it back out at the time, going through CDs, stuff in my trunk, just, yeah. Yeah. All because the dog smelled something. Now, you know, marijuana smoke is strong. A smell could be in my car from somebody else, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. a- anything. You know, um, like I said, I don't I don't smoke weed. And so to to go through that experience and realize, man, I'm a college. I just finished college. I have my bachelor's. My my brother's getting his bachelor's and we're still being taunted by the police. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're pointing to and what you're saying is something that is it's it's kind of like this might sound a little bold or harsh. I'm not sure, but it's like. We kind of think, and I I speak for myself as well, you kind of think, well, you know, once I get the education, I have proven that I am, quote unquote, I am worthy. I'm I'm a good one. You know what I'm saying? At least I I felt that way in my early 20s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you find out, oh, hold up. You mean to tell me there's nothing I can do? (laughs) So no matter what, you're going to see me as trouble. Exactly. And. I realized that the older I got, and that's what made me become, you know, unapologetically black. Yeah. Because no matter if I have a clean cut look, no matter if I have dreadlocks, I'm still going to be inferior to someone or somebody. So I might as well just be myself and stay true to who I am. Yeah. Well. I hear you. And now that does leave me without the next question is specifically, have you had any interactions with law enforcement? Um, are there any other experience that you want to share? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, 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 there's so many interactions I've had with law enforcement. I'm just trying to pick out one that, that <laughs> might be interesting to your listeners. Got you. And granted, some of them were warning. I'm not going to say that you know, I'm a squeaky clean person and I didn't do anything wrong. So some of it was warranted, but some of it was just over the top because I feel like the, the, the officers is like, OK, this one, we pull this one over. We're, we're, we're going to rack up some major points just because of my age, you know, 20s, 17, 18, 19 well, put it um, on the court for us. Share share one of those incidents with us. Okay. When I was 17, maybe 18, me and my cousin, we got manhandled by the police. My cousin had an issue going on with his sister. His sister was being, for lack of a better word, physically abused by her boyfriend. And so we went to the rescue to try to find her. And so, you know, we're looking for, didn't find her. There were some uh, police officers in the apartment complex. And so they pulled us over and, you know, 
no license and registration. We, uh, my cousin had his hand on the wheel. I'm sitting on the passenger side. And in a matter of seconds, we got pulled out the car, thrown on top of the car, arrested, questioned, you know, why are y'all here? Da, 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 da. And all we're doing is investigating, just seeing what's going on, not making a ruckus, not doing nothing. But again, you know, that 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 precious age of 16 to maybe some people early 30s, you are a high target to the police. And a lot of times the police, uh, whether black, white, Hispanic, Japanese, are on the beat so often that they are desensitized. Every black person or every person of color looks the same and they are in fear of them. And mm -hmm. so as a way of controlling, you know, they call it controlling or protecting the community. You know, when that incident happened to me and my cousin, he was angry, I was angry. And what are we gonna do? Tell our parents? I mean, you could tell your parents and then they could be like, this is just how it is because it's you against them. And some parents are just like, what did you do wrong? And it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, a lot of times, and even in this day and age with the George Floyds and the Ahmaud Arbery's, and uh, I mean, the list can just go on and on and on. A lot of times police look like slave catchers mm -hmm. to, to me, look like slave catchers that if you don't do everything right, we have a right to kill you. We have a right to beat you up because we're trying to control you. We're trying to oppress you. We're trying to not let you live free versus your white counterparts can cuss the police out, can get out the car, can walk by with a gun, and they don't look like a threat at all. Matter of fact, can infiltrate the White House. Hmm. You know, we're always comparison, like, why do they not get the same treatment we get? It's because I feel it's a mentality. It's, it's an oppressive mentality that if you don't do everything right, we have the right to kill you. We have the right to beat you up. We have the right to use excessive force. And there's nothing you can do about it. Well, as it happens, I just spent a week in this equity training. And in short, in California, all the teachers are getting additional training in distinguishing mainstream culture and kind of the, the inherent biases that don't even seem like biases because they're just taken for granted, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think what, what a podcast like this and, and so many of the conversations that are happening now in the wake of so many names, like you said, and then in particular, the nine minutes and 46 seconds of George Floyd's murder, that the officers, like I remember watching something specifically about the training that officers are getting, and they're being trained to go into a combat zone. You know what I mean? Like they're being trained that there's danger everywhere. They're not, the, the training on serving is like 10%. <laughs> and on top of that, 
all that military level, military grade equipment, it's like, what other mindset are you going to have? And then when you add on top of that, the inherent racial biases that exist in our society is just a recipe for nonsense. A recipe for disaster. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're in education, a teacher, a professor or something. Teacher. Mm -hmm. A teacher. And so you as a teacher, there's a group of kids that are quote unquote labeled as bad kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when a teacher has to deal with bad kids on a day in and day out basis, They become desensitized. And so now you can't tell one bad kid from the next bad kid. You know, you speak a good point right there, because if you get out of 120 kids, three kids that are going, you know, talking back, this and that. And and then year after year, five years in, you believe you you believe not the truth, but you believe that all the ones who speak out and, and are giving you trouble are a particular color. Then it only reaffirms the bias you have. And then you're right. And then you're desensitized. And then that 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 kid of color who just says, what did you say? Now it's, it's defiant <laughs> versus, oh, he didn't hear me. You know what I'm it, saying? Exactly. And. My idea, a bright idea I've had that I've discussed with one of my best friends is that police officers should be on the beat for a year and be off the beat for a year. And what I mean, be off the beat, just get back in the office and do some paperwork, just do some normal everyday police stuff without having to deal with crazy people day in and day out. Mm. Because that will level you off and it'll make you like, okay, every every person of color is not out to have resistance against the police. Every person of color it doesn't hate the police. But when you're dealing with that on a day in and day out, it desensitizes you. You know, and I, I got one of my own, which is, uh, and I can't, to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure I heard this from a brother, but I don't remember which one, but it was something like maybe the first two years you patrol without a gun. Like you don't get a gun when you first join the police, you patrol without not to put you in danger, but rather to have you learn how to interact without it being based on if you don't comply, you're in mortal danger. Because as soon as you you know, throw them out. And it's like, you, you now have a gun. I've, I've entered in March of uh, this year, I had four episodes where I interviewed black law enforcement officers. And one in particular was like, yeah, it's true. When you first get out of, you know, when you first get out on patrol and you got the gun, you do feel like, Hey, you need to do what I say. And, you know, that's based on the training and the expectations and then that gun. And so anyway, if you had that period of time, But, you know, whether it's your suggestion or my suggestion, the bottom line is it's just it's time to train a little differently and to, you know, look at new ways of policing. Um, It's it's just time. It has been time for a long time. And the only way you're going to do it is in these underserved communities. You have to build community. 
that's yeah. just the bottom line. Relationships go a lot farther than just telling me what to do. Because the old saying is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. It's how much do you care for me in my community? And a lot of these underserved communities don't even have police departments. So then you have these, this police department coming from another side of town and not familiar with the community, only familiar with the stuff that is of negativity. And they're not trying to build community. They're just trying to clean it up. And it's like, you can't clean it up if it's us against them. You have to be willing to partner. You have to be willing to, you know, come to these barbecues, these cookouts, these speak outs, different things like that in order to build community. Because the reality is, is that's what you see when you go to the white suburbs. Oh, I know uh, Officer Daniel. I know Officer uh, Danny. He he came to my sister's wedding and all of this. But why we don't right. get that same type of, you know what I mean, uh, relationship? Yeah. Yes, agreed. Speaking of relationships on a grand scale, let's talk about the United States. If the United States of America was a woman with whom you could speak and you get to choose, this could be a mother, lover, na- neighbor, stranger, friend, whatever, what would you say to her? I think I would open it up with a question. Do you still consider yourself the land of the free? And I would just wait on the response. Because from what I've known about you, you say you are the land of the free. Do you consider yourself still... In 2021, do you consider yourself the land of the free? And if so, why? Because what freedom looks like to white Americans looks limited or restricted to people of color. Do you want to give something specific so people know what you mean? You mentioned earlier, as you being in the education world, something as simple as equity. If everyone is on the same playing field, if everyone has the same access and the same resources, why do we even need equity? Hmm. Mm -hmm. It's because the access and resources is free to those that have benefited from it and has been limited and restricted to people of color. And, and people of color doesn't necessarily have to be black. It could be Hispanic. It could be Asian. It, it, it could be anyone that has a p- pigmentation in their skin, Native American. Right. There are a couple different things that come to mind just in what you're saying. So first of all, like where I live, we have a sheriff's department. You know, we don't have a city police department. And it's, it's a small little community and I, I walk a lot. And so, you know, when I, there's certain, you know, like right in my mind right now, there's one Latina that I see a lot um, that uh, sheriff, sheriff's deputy and, you know, and I'll wave and, and, you know, I just see them all the time, but the relationship is different because this community that, you know, it's just, they don't have at least, at least in this little area I'm walking there, there's nothing adversarial they're expecting. So they're not bringing that to it. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And so it it lends a different 
view. But but what I also know is there is an area in my, there is an area about, oh, I don't know, 12 blocks away. Now I would get different treatment walking up and down that street all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just about the location and it's not equitable because, and, you know, going back to what you said about being free, I feel completely free walking where I walk, where I walk completely free. But I'll be honest with you as I'm talking to you right now, like today, yeah. this afternoon, I was, you know, I walk half marathons. I'm so glad things are opening up and getting ready for my next one. I kid you, I didn't even think about this until we're talking. As I was doing my walk, I started to cross this one major street. And I was like, mm, I don't feel like going down in that community right now. <laughs> right. That's just why, do you, real talk. why do you even have to think like that? Right. Even the thought process of you thinking like that lets You're you right. know that we are not free. Because let me tell you something. If it was a white woman, oh, she's going wherever she wants to go. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, sadly, I'm speaking from the point of because that neighborhood was is is uh oh my gosh telling one of myself it's a little poorer and sure. i expect there's a little more trouble and mm-hmm. and 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 these let me tell you the white women wouldn't they don't even walk they wouldn't even it wouldn't have been even a thought like should i for them for me it, sometimes i do walk over there but it was like today nah <laughs> and i would expect to get stopped differently walking down those streets. Absolutely. And, and we as African-Americans always have to be conscious of that. It's something as simple as walking, something as simple as buying our first home and mm-hmm. wondering, okay, if I move into this community, are there going to be Black people there? Am I going to be Am I going to be one of the first Black people on the block? You that's know, right. That's right. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's limited limited restricted thinking yeah a a, a white woman or a white man does not think about that even if even if the the neighborhood is rough let's just put it out there even if the neighborhood is rough because let's let's talk about gentrification yeah see that that takes on a whole nother look like oh this this neighborhood was the hood but it's close to downtown. And if we put some paint and cut the grass and do this and do this, oh, this house is about to be worth a half a million. And if we call the police and insist that they regulate who's staying out on the streets and make sure anybody that we would consider to be loitering, that we give them a ticket, like we can call the, you know, and that's one of the things about gentrification, which I know is that if you're, let's just be straight, if you're white and you can call the police and say, I, you know, there are some strangers happening here. They're they're walking around and I I don't I don't think this is any good. You get enough of you together, then the police are going to come and regulate in a way that is distinct from how they would have if it was all minority. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's yeah. why going back to your original question about if the United States was a woman, what would you what would you say? And I would say are you still considered, do you still consider yourself the land of the free? Mm-hmm. I hear you, brother. You, you, well, you, wanted to go, you wanted to go swimming deep. I said, okay, let's go. Yeah, no, let's do it. Well, let, well now we're going we gonna to back it up and lighten it up. 
okay, we're going to get back on the water slide. <laughs> yes. And, and it's a beautiful one, too. This one. What is a moment in your life that exemplifies the meaning of love to you? You know what? And this might sound corny to, to, to some guys that might listen, but I don't care. When I was in undergrad school, you know, Tuskegee University, trying to, you know, find out who I was and, and what I was going to be in life. I had a brother. He was a few years older than me. And he reached out to me. And this dude showed me the true meaning of love. Now, he was a Christian and I wasn't a Christian. I hadn't given my life to the Lord, but he showed me what love was in such a genuine way. I'm like, if this is what it means to be a Christian, sign me up. What happened? What'd he do? It wasn't nothing special. I just never seen a, 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 a Black man of a younger age. Like, if I was 21, he might have been 25, 26, where he was just loving on me. Like, I mean, was it something he said? What did he do? You got to paint a picture for us. Uh, it, it, it's just really hard to quantify. It just was his character. Like most college students, you're broke. I was broke times two. <laughs> I, I was the don't have it dude. Okay. And so, uh -huh. I mean, he would, he would cut my hair, wouldn't charge me. I remember one time my apartment got broken into. This dude gave me his only two pair of Nikes because I didn't have any more shoes, you know, wow. would, would would just show me the word and, and just show me that as much as I love you, Jesus loves you, God loves you, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. It, it was just genuine. I had never experienced nothing like that. How did you come to know him? He found me. So we had the same inner circle of friends. And I'm actually writing about him in my second book. We kind of had the same inner circle of friends, but I didn't know him and he didn't know me. But every time we would see each other, we would say, you know, we would have casual conversation and stuff. And he was like, yo, man, I want to connect with you. And so, you know, I'm busy taking credit hours, working part time job, trying to keep a girlfriend, all of this. So I would kept missing him. And one day we finally connected and the friendship just built. We just we started talking, started hanging out and. Next thing you know, uh, little old me, I'm coming to college Bible study. I'm I'm asking questions. I'm 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 in the mix with other people I wouldn't usually hang with, and it was just a genuine love from another guy that wasn't a part of my you know family or a part of my childhood that just loved on me in, in, in a way that it just felt different. It, it was like a pure a pure love, like a heavenly love. That is amazing. I, you've painted a very clear picture. What I'm left with from what you just shared is someone who saw you as worthy of whatever your need was, like just worthy, not entitled, but just 100% worthy of all that, that you should want. Absolutely. And, 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 and to me, that's how God sees us, that we are worthy of his love, of his plan, of his purpose, of his calling. You, you just have to believe it. 
And, you know, this guy, his name is Alonzo Brown Jr. Um, we're still friends to this day. He was the one that influenced me to give my life to Christ. And as a matter of fact, my son's middle name is named after him. So every time I think about my son's middle name, I think about him because it's, it's a reflection of what he did for my life, not just monetary, but spiritually as well. So now I want to ask you about practices because, you know, all the brothers have these things they do that, you know, we, we wonder how people, how did they make it? How did they do this? How do they stay focused? And everybody has their own little practices. And so for you, Chalmer, what is a practice that has served you well in life? And please be specific. What do you do? How often? And how did you discover or develop this practice? My practice would be praying, journaling, and reading. Those are the three that have served me well and have taken me places I can't imagine. Even if my prayer is no more than 10 seconds, God, I just thank you for waking me up to see another day. I can't control my heart from beating. I can't think and say, make my heart beat. It's, it's not me that's doing that. And I mean, we can get into the science of it, but there's something more beyond the who behind the science. And so, you know, prayer for me is, 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 is a routine thing and a practice that I try to do on a daily basis. My second one would be journaling. I've journaled a lot. I think that's what allowed me to uh, write my first book. And now I'm on my second book. Um, it has allowed me to write jokes when I was a stand-up comedian um, you know, because I would have all these ideas and I had to like get them out my system. And so journaling, you know, even, even, and if some people would read my notebooks, it probably wouldn't even make sense to them because I'm like all over the place. It's not like line by line It's like some stuff in the corner, some circled and a dot here and an arrow there. But I knew what I was trying to say. Journaling allowed me to get out those ideas allow me to flush out what's in my mind and allow me to put something to pen to paper when it came to goals. And my third one just, just became an avid reader. Books were given to me. I purchased books and just really started to improve my intellect and my consciousness and history, spiritual, physical, mental, cultural, societal. I just began reading. And now, you know, I love to read. Uh, those, those would be my three things, praying, journaling, and reading. Perfect. And shoot, <laughs> I can vouch for all of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, now that we've had this conversation, Chalmer. Okay. You get for yourself personally out of participating in this conversation. I get to express my authentic self. As a Black man, Black father, Black husband, I got to express a side of myself that people might not know about. Yeah. I'm always left with a particular impression of that unique flavor of God. A friend of mine likes to say that each brother is after a conversation like this. And for me, Chalmer, you 
are a heart wide open. <laughs> it's like expound on that. Yes. One, just being able to receive Alonzo's love. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that that's a heart wide open, right? And then when you talk about the joy, when you talked about the experience as a kid with your mom, like mm-hmm. all of it is, I guess I say wide open because it you just seem like you welcome love. And while that might seem like, well, doesn't everybody do that? No, I'm sorry. I wish that were true. <laughs> but you welcome it. And in welcoming it, it, it just shows up more and more. Does that resonate? It does resonate with me, and, and I and I definitely uh, appreciate you saying that because, you know, above all else, love is the only thing that can change you. I and I have to say, I might be influenced by the picture I'm looking at because this picture of you and your wife. I just, you know, I'm realizing it's like because that's what I'm seeing this whole time we're together, and and that expression is probably adding to how I'm hearing all the things you're sharing, but yeah, that's, that's who you are. A wide open heart. Well, I appreciate that, man. I I really appreciate that. I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, that means a lot to me um, because I'm not perfect. And, you know, I'm still working on trying to, you know, keep, keep myself open to love and and, and searching for love um, because that's what bonds us. That's what changes us. That's, that's, what we know first as newborns before anything else is love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at 365brothers. Also, follow us on Facebook at 365brothers, the podcast. Lastly, I just want to let you know, producing a podcast, it takes something. And I'm really grateful to have partnered with Alidu.com. They make publishing easy. There's a link in the show notes for anyone who either has a podcast or is thinking about a podcast. You don't need to learn all that sound balancing and compression. Save all that. Use your time for what matters, interviewing and sharing the stories that your podcast brings. Thank you for listening to 365 Brothers. Certainly hope you enjoyed the episode. I encourage you to subscribe. Please leave a review. I want to know what you think. Also, if you know someone who would be a fantastic guest for 365 Brothers, please direct them to our website, 365brothers.com. You'll also find all the episodes there, 365brothers.com. And your support is welcome. And remember, to listen is to love. And here's a sneak peek into next week's Fatherhood Friday episode.